Yo, 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 it is about that time for the Outside the Box podcast. We are back. We are happy to be here. We're happy to see, smell, look, and feel your faces. Just We're just in a good mood today, especially me. Uh, as you know, this is the show about sneakers and everything that surrounds sneakers from music to culture to sports. We're just here to talk about things that we love. That's what the show is about. Not just sneakers, just things that we love. Of course, of course, of course, I'm not the only person on this show. So when I say we, I really mean the two more important people that are on this show. If this if this show was a rich family, I am the spoiled teenager that gets everything that I want. But N- Nick and Tiffany, they're the ones that really bring home the bacon. They make the money. They make things happen around here. They own the mansion. I'm just here uh, as the kid that's ungrateful. Uh, so Nick, tell them where they can find you. And uh, Tiffany, you tell them the same. <laughs> I don't know about I don't know about that. I, I I feel like in that analogy I'd probably be like you know the, the like the the worst of the two like pet dogs like you know not the one that gets spoiled but the one that has to stay outside. Um, but uh, <laughs> my name is Nick Engvall. I've been working in the sneaker business for about ten to twelve years and uh, have a site called Sneaker History. You can find me there or at Nick Engvall on all platforms. N i c k e n g b a l l. But really, I'm just here to learn from the most important person on the show, which is Tiffany Beers. Tiffany, introduce yourself. Uh, I'm Tiffany Beers. You can find me on Instagram and YouTube. Um, and let's see, if I go to the analogy, I'm the the um, outgoing aunt that taught Jacques how to be a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so welcome to the show, everyone. We are glad to have you. Uh, we got a really great show planned for you guys today. And uh, some of the topics are pretty pretty hot topics. There's some things that are, I think, going to push some buttons and get a lot of comments from you guys. But first of those is a transition. It's a change. It's a different way of thinking about things, especially when it comes to sneakers, as the people at Forbes uh, have said that recording artists have officially surpassed athletes' influence on the sneaker reselling market. Now, that's a very specific title. And um, I, I, I questioned it at first when I first saw the headline. But then as I, as I really thought about that headline, it really tells a bigger story that it's just the resale market. It's not just sneakers in general. It's resale. And... That's a totally different audience, and I don't know if that's an indicator of what's what's to come, or if this is just a blip on the radar. So, Nick, how what are you thinking about this? So, uh, I actually it, the the reason why this one was so interesting to me is because I actually wrote a piece for Complex about five years ago, basically saying that like, basically saying this, basically saying that you know it doesn't really matter, a- athletic ability doesn't really matter. In selling shoes at this point, and I say that I say that then because I believe in like this like kind of multiplier effect that a lot of these celebrities have, where you know, let's take Kanye for instance, because that's the you know kind of the number one uh, you know artist on the on the secondary market, right, as far as sneakers go, and 
there's Kanye who has whatever millions of followers has this crazy audience. We talked about him on a previous show getting, you know, 50,000 plus likes every tweet. And then there's like his friends who are, you know, and, and family like the Kardashians who are like millions upon millions more. But it's not just like Kanye and Kim. It's like Kim and Kim and the mom and the sisters and the other sister and the brother and like everybody supporting this one initiative. And that's kind of how their their dynamic has worked to to keep them relevant for so long. And I think that that piece is very interesting because because of the way contracts are set up for like signature footwear, you can't really have that same dynamic until you get outside of sports right so you can have lebron and you can have everybody that's a fan of lebron you know resharing and talking about the new shoe and all of those things but then you look at like like a russell westbrook who's you know arguably like the the second most popular player in the nba or you know joel Embiid or you know um any of the guys in the nba they're not going to share lebron's stuff because they're you know tied to other brands so it right. kind of like almost like funnels the, the energy away from the player um, in ways that are just really interesting that you don't really think about as far as artists getting away with doing that because even like I think you know like recently Kanye posted pictures of of you know shoes from other manufacturers in his closet or wardrobe or whatever and clearly like him and Virgil are friends they're going to support each other they might not publicly be posting you know like he's not going to publicly post that he's wearing, you know, Virgil's Prestos, but clearly he has a pair. So I think those kind of things get have have kind of overtaken what sports is. And I say that with like a really like <laughs> solemn heart, right? Like I come from Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, you know, like David Robinson, Chris Webber, all these athletes that made the shoes relevant to me, right? Like I I love shoes, but I really love the shoes that my favorite players, you know, did something cool on court with or ended up on a basketball court or a basketball card or ended up on a magazine cover because that's what I was really into. And I think it's just a different time. It's it's very interesting and, you know, I think I don't know, I, I think that like it's hard to argue with it. Um, you know, you, your point about it being the secondary market also says a lot about the time that we're in where the secondary market is it always has been like a very unspoken important thing about sneaker culture and the business of sneakers right you know if you look at like if you look at like say 2011 2010 2011 2012 jordans that was absolutely like you could buy any pair of jordans at retail and you could resell it like the the secondary market was you know like kind of booming at that moment for jordans yeah and you look back and that's also like the best years of Jordan retros specifically at least not to you know can't say that about necessarily like performance product but absolutely with retros like there was like just this huge like booming business where they're opening stores in New York and you know they have reasons to really be going hard with just specifically retros and new colorways and stuff so I don't know I mean how do you feel about that Tiffany from someone who worked within the brand do you acknowledge that within the brand is that something that is thought about or talked about um i don't necessarily know you know my experience was more in the innovation end it wasn't exactly right up in the category working with you know the performance basketball shoe that came out every single year 
you know, I worked on a couple of them, like when Tinker wanted to work on one, like the AJ29. So I think it's just, I think it's more of a reaction. You know, the sneaker industry is more mature now. It is much bigger than it was 10 years ago. I mean, it's way more dynamic. Um, it's no longer a subculture necessarily. And so I think, I think this is just part of it. You know, the entertainers being, having popular shoes, it should have always kind of been there, but you know, Michael Jordan was dominating, right? Like he was just so such an athlete and such a cultural icon that he just dominated. So like, it's weird for me because I think if Steph Curry <laughs> had a good shoe design, you know, they refer to him saying that Kanye has 70% more sales than the MVP of the NBA, which is Steph Curry. But Steph Curry's shoes in the last couple of years haven't really been that great, you know, like, Right. And LeBron is yeah. such a big, dominant player. He needs a lot of support. It's not like you can just throw a lifestyle shoe on those guys and it's going right. to rock like the Jordans, you know? So yeah. I think back to the Kobe's. Like, Kobe was really good post-Jordan. He was a really good entertainment slash basketball kind of mix guy. I'd like to know your thoughts on that, Nick. No, I, I absolutely think Kobe is... Um, I, I don't know that... that he necessarily appealed to the same kind of, um, you know, secondary genre. Like, I, you know, he wasn't necessarily like the hip hop guy, you know, like Jordans became synonymous with hip hop and, you know, Kobe almost had like this, like his shoes were so, um, you know, just so minimal for, for such a long time, you know, with the exception of like, I can't remember which one was like the really high version. Was that the nine? nine or the uh, 10 that had like the high version the nine the nine was a really high yeah. one <clears throat> yeah and you look at all of his shoes other than that one and they look like they look like something that could easily be turned into a casual shoe right they they obviously have performance but they're designed after soccer boots so they're way more you know slim fitting aerodynamic you know they don't have that you know and and he as a player obviously like you said about lebron being like this big massive player Kobe played in a different way and didn't have that same kind of, you know, like substance in, in as far as size and, and build. So I think that the, that kind of helps in, you know, in like, I think of like, you know, a LeBron 15, right? It's an amazing shoe, but it's really big. So if you take the sneaker heads out of the picture and the basketball players out of the picture, who's actually looking to wear a shoe like that? whoever you're thinking of is probably going to wear a bigger retro model shoe than a new performance model shoe. And with Kobe, you didn't really have to do that because his shoes, you know, you could, you could, you know, take, I mean, I think he even had multiple takedowns of his shoes because yeah. they sold so well to the general public. And I think, you know, that's one, one thing that I think is challenging for the, the future generations of, of athletes across all sports to you know maintain that kind of um i don't know just like that kind of over th you know like that overall picture you know like thought process of like okay yeah. who who's the outside of the 20 percent that's the basketball and the sneaker heads who's gonna buy the shoe when they walk into a mall you know at on a sunday afternoon like is it going to be somebody that not is not necessarily playing or collecting because in the end, that's what makes these shoes more impactful over time, in my opinion. Yeah, and and you know, the, hearing you say general public, 
um, the general public isn't buying shoes on the resale market. Right. That's a that's a very specific audience. So, like, I think you, you kind of have to take that into account as well when you look at this story. So you see it says Kanye West sells 70% more sneakers than NBA MVP Steph Curry. But I, I would argue that Steph Curry probably sells more shoes overall than Kanye West in general. So like there's a there's a huge it's two different markets. It's it's talking to two different markets or we're talking to two different markets. And so when people hear this story, uh, definitely keep in mind that the recording artists surpass athletes influence on the sneaker reselling market, not just the sneaker market in general. And that's a that's a big distinction. And I, I think people should definitely make sure they take note of that before they go. Uh, tell their friends at the water cooler because that's what you do after you listen to the outside the, the box <laughs> podcast you feel like you've gained some knowledge some insight from tiffany uh but keep, but keep it with the artist no <laughs> i was taking a drink out of the water cooler and i choked up uh-huh see because it's the truth um also also uh i don't know if you caught it nick but there was a little humble brag from tiffany in there um you caught it yeah when she was like what uh i didn't i don't really she was like i didn't really work on design or with like those guys like with the artists or or the athletes i was in innovation um so that's that's a little it's a little more important um than what they were doing yeah so definitely yeah i don't get that yeah no i got it i got it more important no we different we heard it tiffany we heard it tiffany we heard it we heard it in your voice i was I was, it was, it was, she was almost aghast. Like, what? <laughs> do, do, do you, do you think I, <laughs> I do that? Oh, no. Man, this is going I was down. in, I was in innovation. Is this a transition? I, I, is this a transition? <laughs> this, this, yeah, this is a, this is the awkward transition to the next story. And that next story is about Kanye. Speaking of artists. Uh, so Kanye wore, uh, what people are calling hospital slippers to a wedding and i saw another article about this and some people called them yeezy slides uh so yeah, they, that's they do look like that's yeezy a way slides. to look at it yeah that that is a way to look at it as well um but i guess my question uh especially coming from somebody like me who's uninitiated when it comes to fashion uh is this a cool thing now no uh, yeah <laughs> No. I mean, no. I I love that the world is so micro focused on Kanye, but I think he just forgot his shoes or something. You know, like that's like you are in your house slippers and you roll out and you accidentally forget them on. I think that's what happened. So here's the thing. <laughs> now, if these were Gucci or if these were Versace or another luxury brand, because I only really know those two. Uh, would people still have the same sort of reaction? See, I don't, I don't think so. And I think that's exactly, there is a good possibility that Tiffany's theory is absolutely right though. Like everybody forgets their shoes sometimes. Come on. But you know, like, (laughs) I think that like, he's actually wearing Yeezy slides, uh, like probably an upcoming version or whatever. So that he can align with, you know, cause he's wearing like a Louis Vuitton suit, which, you know, Clearly, like, if you're getting, you know, even for Kanye, that's really dressed up. So I would assume that, like, he's just trying to align his brand with those high fashion brands. But I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of I mean, crazy. I feel like it's it's almost disrespectful to show up in slides for a wedding. I mean, 
I, I don't think the slides are a problem. Like, wear whatever you feel is comfortable. Who knows? Maybe he had a blister or, you know, hey, maybe he had something going on with his feet and he just needed something comfortable. But the big question is, why aren't they the right size? Yes. Like, what? That's the issue. Were they Kim's? I mean. <laughs> right. What's happening? They why aren't they like right size? That, yeah. that, that's, that, that's the bigger issue for me. Like, if you want to wear slides, if that's your fashion slant or your fashion angle, you do you, boo-boo. Yeah. But when, when your heel is hanging off the back and your big toe is hanging off the front, that's something entirely different. You style the way you want to style, but you need to wear the right size. True. And, and looking at the picture, too, like you can see behind him is somebody wearing a pair of Jordan 3's black cements. So clearly, like the wear what you want to wear is, is, is good to go across, across everybody. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, we just, I think we're pointing out Kanye because it's Kanye. Um, and then I don't think they're the right color either to go with the suit that he had on. But that's, you know, that's another story entirely. Yeah. Uh, but they're definitely too small. And uh, for all those out there that thought Yeezy slides were fake, um, here's your proof that Yeezy slides are real. And um, my worry is that this will become a staple at wedding for those out there that are uh, fans of Kanye. <laughs> So uh, be careful who you invite to your wedding uh, if they are a Kanye fan because they may show up in house slippers or Yeezy slippers or Yeezy slides or hospital shoes or whatever it is you want to call these things. Um, just I'm just putting it out there. There, there is a possibility that they'll show up. And then I, I'm just, this is a message for you. Don't be angry um, because you, you should have saw this coming because you listened to the Outside the Box podcast and we warned you. I mean, um, and we're going to go ahead. They, I mean, they only show him really, right? Like, and you see those Jordan threes, who knows? Like maybe he was inside the home or something and they made him take his shoes off, you know, and this was the option and he forgot, you know, like it's hard to say what yeah. the story is, but yep. yeah. I think I think the the moral of the story is exactly what you said, though, Tiffany. Like, why are we so hyper focused on Kanye and his shoes when, like, clearly it's not that big of a deal, no matter what the situation was. Yeah, that that that's true. That's true, except for the fact that they were way too small. <laughs> um, but again, that's that's the only thing I, I'm really concerned about is like why his shoes were so small. Uh, shout out to Kim for loaning Kanye her slides. <laughs> <laughs> Kanye her, loaning Kanye her slides. Uh, with, but with that being said, let's keep it moving and to a story that ah oh, okay. So I'm really excited about this next story um, because we've we've been talking about it a lot here on this show, and I know it's not the most exciting topic, but um, you should listen like it is. It's sustainability and. Uh, it's the environment and it's how we create things that can either benefit or take away from our world. And I feel like Reebok is taking a big leap in that direction because they made shoes out of cotton and corn. And their uh, their tagline is made from things that grow. Now, I did a little research on this um, and the corn is the outsole and the cotton is the upper. But the corn is not actually corn. It's a product called Sustera, Sustera palin, Palindrome. No, that's not the right word. Um, Sustera something like that. Hold on. I got to look it up. I have it 
this Sustera propanidiol, propandiol, I'm, I'm guessing, Sustera propandiol, and it's not corn you can eat, basically, it's almost like feed corn that they ground up and turn into, I imagine, some sort of oil to make the outsole. Um, I'm stumbling through this just because um, I, I just want to show you how awesome Tiffany's going to be when she really <laughs> steps in here and saves me. Um, so it's all all rubber plastic is oil based, and I imagine they're making oil from the corn that makes the outsole for this shoe. Um, so Tiffany, now that I've totally destroyed um, the meaning and everything behind this shoe, can you swoop in here and uh, set everyone on the podcast straight? So I think I mean I don't know all the details, and I was actually having trouble finding information on it. Um, corn like you remember the gum sole shoe that was literally made out of gum yep we talked about that a few weeks ago so i i'm guessing it's in the similar arena um i mean just using corn oil to make the rubber i don't know if you can do like i don't know if they can say it's only made out of corn like that's the question i have here is the upper you know they say the upper is made out of cotton is it 100 percent cotton and the soles made out of corn what percentage is made out of corn or is just some corn in there? So the the percentage for the outsole um, is 75, around 75%. Hmm. Corn. Yeah. Our, our, that, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't say corn specifically. It, they say it's 75% bio-based. Okay. okay. Well, I mean, bio-based though. Oil's bio-based, so. Yeah, the, the other, the other, like, section of it says that it was described that the Sustera propanidiol or whatever it is was described as a pure petroleum-free non-toxic 100% USDA certified bio-based product derived from field corn so petroleum-free makes me think that there's no oil right at least in that 75% but there could be in the other 25% yeah petroleum-free I mean petroleum is basically the oil uh, petroleum is what plastic is made out of. So, so yeah, it makes me think they're actually using, you know, the fiber and the, the actual corn material in the outsole, uh, which would be pretty cool. I mean, there's people in Portland that use um, fermented fruit juice and they turn it into race fuel. So, I mean, that's... Oh, wow. wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. I want to learn more. If anyone knows anything about that, put it in the comments so I can figure it out. But yeah, I heard that this weekend at the racetrack that, you know, corn-based fuel and, and race fuels from fruit are an actual real thing. So anyways, I, I distract us. So I don't know exactly how much of that is corn. I'm guessing, you know, if you think of paper, right, paper comes from shredded wood. If you think of corn in the same kind of process, I could see how it becomes part of the rubber. Uh, or part of the outsole, but it probably isn't called rubber anymore. It's it's probably just called outsole, and there's probably not a... I would imagine at this point there's no rubber actually in that outsole. Yeah. yeah. And it, it does feel pretty close to rubber. Uh, it feels kind of more like a gum outsole, kind of that sort of... It's not super hard. It's not really soft. Um, it's almost um, translucent. Uh, it's like it's like a... Like a um, it's like a... What's the word? A milky milky sort of color because okay. um, I understand they didn't use any dye on these and um, you, you can see like light through it um, 
but it's it's really it's it's really interesting. It's it's a. Um, I also read that this shoe is not biodegradable though. Oh. They are working on they are working on another version that will be biodegradable, but this one is not. That so I feel like that tells me something that I should know. Yeah, that's interesting. And that, I mean, that means they bound basically they bind bound the corn to something, another chemical that it can't be separated from, and it won't degrade, you know, into the earth. I think the big question, Jacques, is what does it taste like when you put butter on? I mean, (laughs) 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 from what I understand, these are not edible, Um, but they are. But the the new version that they are working on, they said they have a pair that's coming out in 2019, 2020 um, that is biodegradable and will decompose. uh, If it's buried in the ground, it'll decompose in five years. So that feels like that's important. I, I just know when they told when I read that this wasn't biodegradable, I was like, oh, I know that must mean something. And I can't wait to talk to Tiffany about it because she'll be like, yep, that means bloop de bloop and blah blah blah. <laughs> exactly. I think the, the great part, too, is non-toxic, right? When they say they're yeah, using yeah. non-toxic materials, that's huge for everything and everyone. This, no doubt, is such a great step. Between Reebok and Adidas, these guys are leading the way in this. This is good stuff that that I hope a lot of people support and continue to push forward. I know I tried to get a pair of these and they were sold out of my size. So uh, I think they sold out pretty well. Yeah, they sold out pretty well. And I was lucky enough. I was lucky enough to snag a pair. But uh, and Tiffany, you and I talked about this a little bit like they they were only ninety five dollars. Generally, when you see brands take these sort of steps, they generally price stuff like this at a premium. And I'm, I'm excited that Reebok didn't price these at a premium. Yeah, that's fantastic. Usually it costs more to process things and make them in this manner. This just means that the technology, the cost of the technology is reducing or they found an amazing like um, proprietary process to keep costs down. Either way, I mean, this is a great sign for everybody. And this is the third one, right? Because Timberland also has that shoe uh, from Recycled Bottles. So, I mean... What's Nike's version? Where are the rest of the brands? And what's their initiatives? Are they going after it? Like, I'd love to know that. Yeah, the interesting thing is the head, the guy named Bill McKinnis, he's the head of Reebok Future. He almost was kind of throwing throwing shade a little bit at the other brands. Mm-hmm. Um, when, because saying, I, 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 not, let me not put intent on him, but <laughs> he, he was saying that we're not using plastic he was like, because that's that you're still it, it, at the end of the day, it's still plastic. He's like, no matter how much you're recycling it, that plastic still has to go somewhere. He's like, we're using products that are natural and from the earth and we don't have to. We're not creating something synthetic out of it. So he uh, threw that little thing out there. And I was like, mm, somebody's been to the shade room today <laughs> Going out a little bit. <laughs> I'm not mad at you. I think you could pick a little bit of that apart, um, but. Yeah, that's a that's definitely an interesting comment. I mean, Reebok's not talking about being 100% recycled by 2024 like Adidas, right? Because they're owned by the same mother company, right? Yeah, I haven't heard yes. anything about them saying that though publicly, at least. I mean, yeah, I, I think I think it's just a really cool step in the right direction, right? Like just the fact that that companies are trying this stuff, like you know, it, it's for me, it's like just it's so important to support these kind of things because it. 
it can't possibly hurt to do these kind of things compared to the way we've gone down this path already. You know, we've already we've already kind of like created standards that that for production and manufacturing that don't necessarily think about the environment as as much as they probably should. So any kind of step back towards the right direction to me is something I want to kind of get behind. So yeah. So just just for the last 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 looks on this one here, uh, the sustainable sneaker features a woven upper made entirely from organic cotton. A base originating from industrial gore, industrial grown corn and an insole made using castor bean oil. No dyes have been used to color the shoes either. And the packaging is 100% recyclable. Um, and then finally, it says uh, with product development, we're using materials that grow and can be replenished rather than petroleum based materials commonly used today. Um, finally, we care about what happens to the shoes when people are done with them. So we focus on plant-based materials such as corn and cotton at the beginning and compost compostability at the end. So Bill McKinnis is out here showing y'all he's a plant-based poppy uh, when it comes to the sneakers that he creates. And I'm not mad. I'm not mad at you, McKinnis. Get your plant-based poppy on. All right. Uh, with that being said, let's move on to the next topic, which is uh, buying sneakers. Um, buying sneakers has become increasingly difficult. Even if you are a sneakerhead, getting the right shoe is difficult, let alone um, if you're an average consumer who doesn't know the tricks of the trades, the bots, the groups and sneakers and all of that stuff. There, we got a request, or I should say, a question from over on Instagram. Someone asking about um, finding out real sites for sneakers, and this is something that's coming becoming increasingly difficult because I feel like on you know, social media, they're allowing these companies to advertise that, uh, and I guess that aren't real. They're fake. Basically, they're advertising knockoff products, and as a consumer you don't necessarily know that you just know that yeezys are hot or you know that off-white shoes are hot or nikes are hot or vapor max are cool so you don't necessarily know that when you find a site that's offering them for 50 percent off that it's a knockoff so i guess you know nick I'll, I'll toss this to you to start but what are the like do you have like a couple of signs or a couple of things that consumers should probably look for when they run up against something like this, because even I, you know, quick start. Even my aunt, who wanted to buy my nephew some um, some Supreme stuff, she ended up buying some knockoff stuff on the web just because she didn't know any better. So, are there a couple of things you can put out there that you think people should look for? I mean, it's getting really, really tough to be honest. Like, there's so many fake sites that pop up and disappear so quickly. You know, like um, Chris that sent this into the Instagram account basically said that he questioned the legitimacy of the shoes and they blocked him on the, you know, on, on their Instagram account. And I think that, oh, wow. I think that, um, you know, for anybody that's like not into sneakers, like, you know, talking to somebody that's into sneakers when you're looking at buying like the, you know, the cool shoes that are coming out, right? Like the hype shoes are the ones that get yeah. copied the quickest and the most frequently and the most, you know, kind of the most, in the most chaotic ways too. like, you know, multiple multiple colors of off-white shoes are all over the internet but i think you know in the end like this probably comes down to a bigger change that needs to happen both i i see it as two options right like the brands the brands have to really be very aggressive about going after these kind of companies which is just like a tireless 
endless circle of chasing, you know, ghosts on, on Instagram, basically. Um, or they could go partner with, you know, let's say Facebook and the advertising, you know, they're already working with the advertising department at Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all of these accounts because they're, they're paying for ads constantly. You see them, right? But if, if they could somehow work with those teams at those, you know, social media outlets, then maybe perhaps those businesses could actually create, you know, a more, a better way of policing these kind of things. Um, because it's not even, even if you, you know, like in theory, like the best way to do it would be like, Hey, you know, let's say, let's say there's a way to like verify that you're, you know, some, a, a knowledgeable sneaker person. And then that way, when you flag an account, it kind of goes into a different bucket than everybody else who's just randomly complaining about a mm. bad comment. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. even then, that becomes really, really challenging because there's just so many of these accounts that pop up, and like not everybody's going to know every account. So, um, you know, without without having like a really big team of people trying to police this kind of thing, I don't see it really ever, you know, coming to an end anytime soon. Um, but hopefully, you know the more of this that gets elevated to the brands and to the advertising platforms like Facebook and Instagram, you know, then those two sides can kind of come together and approach it in a new way. Right. It's kind of like, you know, like who knows, maybe it becomes something a little bit different. Maybe it becomes something like, you know, we had eBay for all these years and then we had this influx of fake shoes on eBay where, you know, regular people were getting scammed all the time. So like the sneaker community kind of like moved a lot of that stuff off of eBay and onto other platforms like SockX and Goat and into Stadium Goods and Flight Club and those other places. Now I think like, you know, this is kind of the next, the, the next um, change in approaching like just the, the policing of, of counterfeits across all kind of platforms of sneakers. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the days of the small niche community of sneakers is gone. It's a more maturity, more mature entire society of people right now. Everybody in the world more or less wears some sort of shoe. So I honestly think that the community should police themselves. Nobody knows better than sneakerheads on what's real and what's different. Why isn't there just a website where you report and and the people that don't know shoes, they can go to that website and see if like, oh, is this a legitimate selling site or not? You know, like mm. like a trip advisor for sneakers. You know, I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, but like this community is so good at identifying it and the community in general feels pretty strongly about fakes and knockoffs in being ripped off. So no one's, Facebook and Instagram aren't gonna do crap about it. I mean, they have too many products to make sure there's fakes. All the fake phones out there, all the fake person, like there's so much yeah. fake product, they can't monitor it. But this sneaker community is very, very powerful. They're very large too. So, I mean, publicizing one website to say, hey, make sure your shoes aren't fake at whatever it's called.com, that's way easier to get the word out and have everybody feed into it than it is policing all these. And the brands, you know, they do the best they can. And I know they're actively working on it, but they can't find them all, you know, before, you know, thousands of people are ripped off. So I think it, you know, the sneaker community should come together more often and, and do things. It's a very powerful community. Yeah, I agree. See, I think, I, oh, go ahead, Jack. 
I was going to say, and this this is where I kind of I, I take issue with the, the social media sites acting like they have no power over what goes on on their sites. Like I, I, I firmly disagree with that. If you if like there's this fake stuff happening on your site, you need to respond to that pretty quickly and, and take care of that. You can you can respond to everything else and you can do every you know, you can do all these things. But for some reason, you can't get fraudulent people advertising on your site like that that just doesn't make sense to me i i feel like there's too much power and too much control they have over the sites and too many things that they can do for them to just turn a blind eye to something like this that you you're getting money from this and before you take that money for those ads or after you take those money for those ads somebody's approving that stuff and somebody needs to be able to look at that and go oh no this is not legit so no like approve those links like look at those links like there there has to be ways that you can work and find out if this stuff is legit otherwise i I just i don't know i i just don't i don't think the onus should be on the community the onus should be on the social media sites if you're going to make this money excuse me if you're going to make this money from us being there collecting our data using all of that to improve your analytics and sending that to to advertisers then you should also protect that same community if you're going to make money off of that community you should also be doing something to protect them i i I, i'll leave it at that it's tricky though right (laughs) because half of the people in the sneaker world that know shoes really well can't tell the fakes from the reels so how is facebook supposed to be able to do it i don't disagree with you that you know facebook instagram all those guys should be figuring out something and they're probably the best people to do it, but they need our help. They can't do it without yeah, most definitely involved. I agree, and I think I think you know Facebook even has like an internal sneakerhead group. Um, I don't know if that's like a public thing, but like I just spilled the beans, I guess. <laughs> it is um, now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, it's a group of people that are really passionate about sneakers, and you know, I think that group. The the challenge in like and like putting it on them is like they might not necessarily be in those positions at Facebook or Instagram to to be the the gatekeeper of those ads and you know in theory like you know I think like the solution is almost like a hybrid of both of your positions on this right like I I think a site you know if you look at like the the old days of like forums or even Twitter right like there's a lot of like, you know, kind of legit check on myself type things where people will put their, their name out there to say like, hey, who's done business with me? This shows that I'm legit. And that adds some, some like, for within the community, that adds a lot of clout for them to be able to sell or trade or whatever. Um, and, you know, on the other side, like the, the business itself could benefit from having like a, a team of, you know, people within the community that can at least, at least, you know, let's say, you know, 80-20 rule, right? Like, I bet you, like, the average sneakerhead could identify 80% of the fake ads right off the bat because they're just blaringly obvious to them. You know, there are going to be those ones that are tougher and the ads that look better and it's harder to tell. But, you know, ideally it's some sort of mix between those two kind of approaches. But um, I think both of them also, like, you know, if you had if you had just like the ability to say start doing it and run with it, like either of those could make a huge impact on the counterfeit business. All right. I think we all just right. had all our right. first fight, Jacques. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's all right. Is a it was a healthy disagreement. A healthy disagreement. Um, uh, with that being said, let's uh, moving on to something about, um, I guess, oh, an argument about being right. And uh, the question is, is Swaggy P right? 
And um, I'm going to go out on the ledge here and say Swaggy P is always <laughs> right. Um, s- shot selection, everything. He's always right. Uh, but the question is, is Swaggy P right about Jordan? And he says, how many times can they remake the same Jays? It's not that hard to come up with new shoes. Um, now, um, <laughs> I... I, I I, I can hear I can hear <laughs> Tiffany's brain exploding over there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go out on the ledge here and say, you're right, Swaggy P. Talk that talk. Uh, go ahead, Tiffany. I know you're <laughs> No, I don't. I don't disagree in that. How many times are they going to relaunch the same Jordans? I mean, they'll stop relaunching them when you stop buying them. So. Stop buying them. True. If you really want to see something new, stop buying them. You know, it is, <laughs> it's not that hard to come up with new shoes. Now that's, that's a whole different <laughs> ball game right there. Um, but I agree they're, they're launching the same Jordans over and over, you know, just, just too many times. <laughs> Do you want me to dive into the other one? <laughs> yes. I'm, that's what I'm waiting. That's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for the salt. I know it's good. I know it's there. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the last five years of Jordans, how have the sales been, right? They're not old enough to retro yet. And so if it's not that hard to come up with new shoes, why are they not blowing out? Why are Steph Curry's shoes not blowing out? I mean, these are new designs. They're different. Like, it is hard to come up with a new shoe in performance basketball that does have technical attributes and also style we just talked about that earlier in this podcast like that is a hard combination that's why all the entertainers are doing so successful right now so i would disagree to find the right the right mix of performance and style is very challenging especially when you start looking at the ip of shoes there are so many patents design patents on aesthetics of shoes like and you have to work through those you got to work around those so I think it oh. it is more tricky than you think. Yeah. So so I'm gonna I'm gonna acknowledge that yeah, Swaggy P is always right, but there's like an asterisk next to his everything he says, just in case, uh-huh. or any shot selection uh-huh. that he might take. Um, uh huh. Uh huh. But I will say that like you know, there's two things I think that make this makes me think about. One. Um, He's wearing a shoe that, you know, like he, he he plays in Adidas, you know, in like a lot of retro model shoes, right? Which is just ironic. Even like the Yeezy 500, the tooling from the shoe comes from previous model of Adidas that is, you know, 20 plus years old. So in a sense, like he's kind of being hypocritical. The other part of it is like Jordans can't exist in the way that Jordans should exist in the way that like a Chuck Taylor a Stan Smith, some of these shoes that are almost always readily available, right? Or like seasonally available. And I think that is like kind of where we're getting to with Jordan. Um, and the more like the production is way over the top on these retro models, the, the more they're gonna have to pull back, make more unique colorways. And eventually I think you'll see like, you know, that a good percentage of the, of the Jordan retro models that come out will be original colorways and you'll see them fairly regularly and you know i think that there's enough market if they were to slow down production because obviously they've been making a lot of shoes lately because even though the even like with you know a lot of the threes that came out earlier this year those shoes were still available and restocked and restocked and restocked and 
yeah. you know, that kind of kills the, the rest of the colorways because, you know, people really love those like, you know, black cement threes, like, you know, people will own three, four five pairs of that shoe, if not more over, let's say a Jordan 12, you know, original colorway retro or, you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah. So, um, eventually they're going to have to kind of look towards those like legacy products and they're going to have to pick and choose a handful that become legacy and then use the others to kind of, you know, hype up things and, and create a lot of buzz, at least in my opinion. That So question for both of you, actually, what Jordan model do you think should be available like a Chuck Taylor? The three, uh, the one yeah. and the three. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think, you know, if, if I was running Jordan brand, I would say that there's probably at least one colorway of, you know, the, the, the one, three, four, and 11 that are always going to be available on an annual basis. And, you know, maybe you switch that out every year. Maybe one year is the white version or summer is the white version, fall is the black version of a shoe. And then the rest of the colorways just kind of like, you know, play with it the way the same way they do right sometimes it's super limited sometimes it's you know because at this point they're they're getting to the point where it's so saturated that like even like a really good looking shoe it's like well i just bought five different colorways because i didn't know if they were going to come out again so i don't want to spend money on those other shoes but i think like the jordan 3 for sure the jordan 1 for sure which they've obviously made you know the jordan 1 has been been in production i think probably since 94 i don't know like somebody would have to check me on that but i'm pretty sure like once they retroed it the first time a version of the jordan 1 came out consistently ever since um at some point Mm. in in each calendar year it's like the air force one right like the air force one just they change materials and colors but it's a standard right you can basically always find it It, the a few of those should just match that model yep i agree yeah I'm going to say only the Jordan 1, and I think everything else should be as is. the Like the red and black colorway of the Jordan 1, like a gray, a black version, and a, should always be available. Kind of like a Chuck Taylor. You can just go in the store and get them anytime you want. But I'm going to hold the three. I'm going to hold it close. It's going to be my <laughs> precious. I'm not going to. I'm I'm willing to. I'm willing to walk to Mordor for the three. Um, <laughs> I, will not, I will not allow you to uh, make it available to everyone. Uh, anyway, uh, with that being said, um, that's interesting. It's interesting, though. I, I get what Swaggy's saying, but, you know, I, and as, as much as it pains me to say, uh, it is hard to come up with new shoes. Um, you, I see new shoes all the time, and some of them are terrible. <laughs> um, you know, and, <laughs> but I won't, I won't name any names. Uh, anyway, with that being said, uh, thank you guys for listening to the Outside the Box podcast. Uh, I am Jacques Slade. You can find me at Cousteau all over the internet. That's K-U-S-T-O-O. Uh, you can find us at Outside Pods for the entire show if you want to leave us feedback or talk back to us. But, um, again, this show isn't about me. This is a three-person effort. If this family was a rich family again i am the spoiled kid i i'm the bad kid that spends all the hard-earned money that the that the family 
created with some sort of IP, creating <laughs> some sort of special deal. And I took over the company and ran it into the ground because I partied all night and spent it on cocaine. <laughs> but for <laughs> the other two people on this podcast, they have they have some depth to them. They're they're bigger and better uh, than what I do. So Nick, tell them where they can find you. <laughs> Uh, so in that analogy, I'd like to just say that I'd probably be the one encouraging all of Jacques' bad decisions, um, <laughs> but I think that's how it works best. But you can find me at Nick Engvall, N-I-C-K-E-N-G-V-A-L-L, all over the internet, or at Sneaker History, sneakerhistory.com. But really, I think the most important person in this family is definitely Tiffany. So Tiffany, let them know how they can find you. I built the company, and I'm super pissed that you guys are pissing it away. <laughs> Uh, Tiffany Beers, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y-B-E-E-R-S, and you can find me on Instagram and YouTube. Again, you can find us at Outside Pods. Leave us feedback. Leave us feedback on SoundCloud or whether that's on iTunes. Leave us a review. Or if you're catching this on YouTube, leave comments down below. We appreciate all of it so, so much. Thank you guys for listening. You guys are the best, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Peace.